Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. You know, I get asked a lot about Lance, what was your most impactful episode? Do you have a memorable one that really stands out for you? And I've gotten asked that many times. And look, we've done, you know, over 360 episodes. So there's a lot there. To Each person's story is really powerful, right? And I learned something from each. But there is a couple, there, there's, look, there's probably a dozen that I could say are my most memorable. But there's one that always comes up as one that's very special to me. And that is the one you're about to hear. Growing up as a hockey player in Edmonton, Alberta, and then later on in Victoria, British Columbia. And, you know, I played, I ended up playing junior hockey, junior A hockey. It didn't work out for me, but hockey was in my blood. And anybody that's from Canada, a lot of Canadian listeners know how hockey is in the prairie, the prairie provinces. So I was an Edmonton boy, born and raised. Um, I'm 38, so that brought, I was born in 83. So the 80s and 90s were big hockey years with Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames. The next guest that we're going to bring on this episode today played on the Calgary Flames won a Stanley Cup in 1989 and an Olympic championship with Canada in 2002. Theron Fleury, known as Theo Fleury, was one of my hockey idols and one of the superstars that I looked up to. Yes, he was on the rivalry Calgary Flames, but I always respected him as being an Oilers fan. I respected him, the fight, and the desire he had as a player. He was a small player, beat all odds, to be able to be what he ended up being. And he was just such an inspiration, not only for the hockey that he played that I admired as a young, young buck, but later on, I learned about his story. I learned about the sexual abuse that he went through in his junior hockey career, the trauma that was created. And then later on, he was able to write a book about it. And I read it and I was so moved by his story and now what he's doing in life with speaking around trauma and, you know, how important it is to heal this stuff. And he was one of the first people that I'm aware of that spoke about such a personal, deep topic around his own story. The vulnerability that we talk about in this episode was just so powerful. and. He taught me a lot about opening up around my own story. I never went through anything like that. But he gave others like myself permission to just speak our truth and be vulnerable. And to this day, Theo Fleury's episode was one that I remember as probably the most impactful one to this day. I remember being so excited to have him on. I was so prepared. I didn't need to do a lot of research because I already knew. Like when you know somebody that well, 
You don't need to. But I remember just getting, I felt so ready for this conversation. I was so dialed in. And when I finished, I was like, holy shit, I nailed it. I'm very hard on myself when it comes to these conversations. I've gotten better over the years. But this one, I was like, Lance, you nailed it. And that's how I felt. So this conversation with Theo Fleury was so powerful. I know I'm going to have him back on the show. I've talked to him here and there on Instagram. Um, and I'm going to have him back eventually. But I want you guys to really enjoy this and really know that this was one of my favorites. And I wanted to bring it back out of the archives. It was from a couple of years ago, the first year or two of my podcast journey. And it was really, really special. For, so for those of you that are new to the show, um, I know there's a lot of Canadian listeners, a lot of new people joining. I wanted to release this just to, just to give you some insight into um, how powerful Theo is and what his story is about. And now even as a freedom fighter with his rights around what's going on and his beliefs, um, a lot of people, you know, agree with him and how he feels about what's going on in the world, right? What's going on with this pandemic and everything. So a lot has changed since this conversation, but I just wanted to tee this up for you guys and let you know that this, this is a really powerful one. Listen to it right till the end. And I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear a, see a review on Apple or, you know, CastBox or Spotify, however, whatever you can do, whether it's a five-star review or a, uh, a written review or a share on social media or a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear your feedback. If you guys aren't subscribed to the show yet, please do so. And let me know if you'd like some more of these retro episodes. I'm going to be pulling out some more of the, the classics that I've had um, and pulling them out sporadically here and there because a lot of people ask me about them. A lot of people don't realize some of the people I've interviewed. So this one is awesome. That's enough. I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let this conversation speak for itself. But enjoy this, guys. It, this was one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite. Theo Flurry, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Dude, this is, I'll tell you, when I started this journey with University of Adversity a year ago, a lot of it was based on my story, but I always had stories in the back of my mind of people that I wanted to bring on the show that right. have, have overcome insane odds and adversity and so many different things. And what you've been able to do and what you've been able to create and what you've opened up for, for players and people to be safe and create this safe place for people to talk has just been amazing. And your book, you know, I read in, in 2012, it, it was, it was amazing, dude. And I just want to say thank you for coming on and we're going to, we're going to light some years on fire today, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So where I, where I want to start is for those of you, those of the listeners out there, there's a lot of people, a lot of hockey people that will be listening to this that know your story, yep. but there's a lot of people who are just getting to, to know you now. And this is, mm -hmm. this is what's exciting is that it's powerful. So let's take it back to the beginning before all the craziness started. Mm -hmm. What was it like for a young Theo Fleury growing up in Saskatchewan? <laughs> well, you know, both my parents experienced uh, childhood trauma in their life. And, you know, that, that manifested itself into addictions. And my dad was a alcoholic and my mom was a prescription pill addict. And so, you know, I grew up in a lot of chaos and violence and 
insanity and you know, you name it. And so what was really cool as a five-year-old, I discovered this wonderful game called hockey and you know, it, I, you know, from the very first time I stepped on the ice, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old now, you know, every time I step on the ice, it's, you know, it's always been my happy place. It's always been my place where, you know, I could create and, you know, do all kinds of really cool things that I was really good at and everything that I wasn't getting at home. When I stepped into an arena, I got friends and teammates and lots of amazing people, adults, parents, you know, who looked after me and, you know, instilled me with some really incredible values and, and lessons and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, you know, I was very fortunate to, um, discover something first of all, that I liked. And then secondly, that I was, you know, really, really good at. Right. And then, you know, did you know at that age, cause I mean, I read your book back in 2012, but I can't remember if you were, how were you really good when you first started or was it, did you kind of, did you know at that time that you were like the elite of the elite? <laughs> Like at that age where, I mean, everybody wants to be Wayne Gretzky, but there's the kids that are really good at a young age. And then there's the kids that kind of develop later. Yeah. Well, what was funny was, you know, randomly in like November, yeah. I'm walking home from school with one of my classmates. And, you know, he said to me, he said, Hey, we're having our first hockey practice tonight. Would you like to play? And I was like, you know, at that point, I can't remember if I'd ever been on the ice that that point in my life when I ran home I asked my mom if I had any you know equipment and we searched around the house found an old pair of skates that were like two or three sizes too big a broken hockey stick some old stinky smelly hockey gloves and I don't know if you're young enough to remember but we used to have these things called Sears catalogs oh yeah I'm 36 so you know similar to what Amazon is now, right? <laughs> and so I grabbed a couple of those to use as shin pads. Wow. And uh, I put all this stuff in a pillow sack and uh, I went down, I went to this hockey practice and, you know, I put on all this gear, which was like, what the hell is all this stuff and whatever. But, you know, my experience that day was, you know, I didn't struggle. I didn't fall down and pretty much fell head over heels in love with the game. And then, you know, we moved to another town, which uh, was Russell, mm. which became my hometown. And the first year of organized hockey, I scored a hundred goals. So yeah, no big deal. huh? And then, <laughs> you know, and then my last year of peewee, well, when I was 12, you know, our team played 63 games that year. I scored 288 goals in six. Wow. And so, okay. You know, um, but I basically lived at the reef cause I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to have to experience, you know, all that insanity and chaos. And, and like I said, it, it was, it was just the place where, you know, I felt comfortable and I, I belonged somewhere. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, the you're seeking what you weren't getting at home in hockey and you're belonging, you're doing well. Yeah. You're getting those like dopamine hits. You're putting the puck in the net. For sure. And you're just like, and you don't even, that's the thing is we don't even have that awareness as kids. No. Like what's happening. But, well, and then we, you, you know, what did, what did we know about yeah, you know, nothing, yeah. brain science back then? Like, yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, you you were a great hockey player. You you gravitated towards that. You started to get in, and then you got into getting into junior, mm -hmm. and you started to get into that. So, walk us through that. Yeah, and uh, just kind of unpack that whole experience of the teenage years and and right. having to move away because a lot of people don't understand. I haven't really talked about my junior hockey career on here, so maybe. Mm -hmm. The, the experience of moving away and having to deal with all that kind of stuff as right. well as what went on. You know, let's see. When I was 14, I was a part of the very first Bantam draft that was held in the Western Hockey League. And I got picked in the second round by the Winnipeg Warriors. And so the summer after I got drafted, you know, the guy that drafted me came to my house and Russell sat my parents around the kitchen table and basically said, you know, we think that Theo needs better competition, you know, better coaching. We'd like him to move to Winnipeg every day after school. He can practice, you know, with the big team and, you know, and I'm, my parents knew right from day one, what I wanted to do. And so they didn't hold me back. And I moved to Winnipeg when I was 15 years old and Needless to say, that choice and decision would change me for the rest of my life because over the next two and a half years, this scout, this coach, you know, raped me 150 times over that period. And so, you know, I was left with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And, you know, there wasn't one person in the world I could have told because I knew if I told, first of all, I wouldn't be believed. And secondly, I knew it would be the end of my hockey. And so I just kept this secret inside. And then, you know, it wasn't too long after that, I discovered alcohol as a coping mechanism. And then, and then off to the races, I was, you know, just, well, you know, I managed to have an amazing junior hockey career, amazing professional career. And, and what, what we know about addictions is your addiction never gets better. Yeah. It gets worse and worse and worse. And, and I had, you know, lots of mental health issues. I had panic attacks and anxiety, depression, you know, all that stuff. And so at the end of my career, what, why? Everybody thinks my addiction was the thing that took me out of the game, but it was the unmanageability of my mental illness that, you know, took me out of the game. I could no longer, you know, manage, um, you know, the anxiety and, and the depression. And I think probably more than anything, the panic attacks were the ones that took me down and, uh, you know, nobody was talking about mental health, you know, or I remember I was in New York. And I had a panic attack on the ice and, you know, basically took myself out of the game. So I'm sitting, sitting in the medical room, talking to the doctor and I go, I don't know what just happened. I just like, I feel weird and da da da. And so next thing you know, he writes a script uh, description, right? And now I'm on the fucking, you know, synthetic brain chemistry tour of, you know, 
taking different kinds of antidepressants and, and then drinking on this, on top of that. And then, you know, discovering cocaine and, you know, so all that was just, you know, completely unmanageable. And, and you know, at the end, that's what took me out. Fuck man, that, that, that journey through your book, I remember I was reading it and I just, I couldn't like I could being in the bars and partying and I, I worked in the nightclubs for a long time. So I could really, I related to that when you're telling about the stories about the drugs and the alcohol, yeah. not to that extent where, I mean, that kind of money was dropped, right? but I could relate and I could, I was like, man, I like, this is, this is crazy. And we don't know why. Well, at least I didn't know why I was drinking and partying yeah. like that. Absolutely. Like you, you, you think it's, it just becomes, it's part of the norm too, almost. Yeah. You, you get in, you get involved in that circle of people Yeah. who, you know, all have trauma history. Yeah. Right. You yeah. Know, that's why you're, you're, that's why you're hanging around these people is because, you know, you're all, you know, you're basically not living. You're just coping right from day to day, you know? Yeah. It's crazy how many people, when you think about it, man, are walking around with this stuff. Oh yeah. Well, it's like bag of bag of weights yeah. that they're not addressing. And they're just looking for this thing, this uh, external thing, drugs, alcohol, sex to like yeah. fill this void. Gambling. Fucking crazy, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's insane. And you know, what I find interesting is that the Canadian Mental Health Association says one in five Canadians suffer with, you know, mental health issues and such bullshit. It's five and five. It's all yeah. right. And you know, the reason why it's become what it's become is, is, you know, we haven't created a safe space in society yet where, you know, we all, um, feel comfortable coming out with, you know, whatever it yeah. is you talk about. Right. You know, and I, I, I really hate the word addiction too, because yeah. there's so much shame yeah. attached to it. Yeah. And so I've sort of changed it to like a three word sort of phrase and it's, you know, emotional pain management is what addiction is, mm. right? Is we, you know, we experience trauma, trauma leads us in emotional pain and suffering. So how do we deal with the emotional pain and scars that are left behind from whatever experience it is? Well, we gravitate towards the dark side of life and you know, get involved in addictions, you know, whatever that is for you, you know, food, sex, gambling, alcohol, drugs, you know, these fucking stupid. Oh man. Carry around. You know what I mean? It's or, crazy. Or, or, you know, perfect example is, uh, you know, the Vancouver Canucks inserting a policy where you can no longer bring your game comp consoles on the road because the young generation is getting addicted to video games. Yeah. Right. So nuts, man. Yeah. It's, and you know, we're going to gravitate towards anything that numbs us out from the reality of that emotional pain, because there's no safe place that we've created where we can, you know, have this conversation like you and I are having right now. Yeah. And this is why I love this Theo is because, you know, there's, it's rare that two hockey guys get to have this conversation. It's so powerful, bro. Like, this is why I love this. I get fired up because, you know, we weren't conditioned to be vulnerable. That was a weakness. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up in Edmonton and then even as a teenager and junior, 
it wasn't if you if that's weak opening up and, and sharing your feelings is like sissy talk yeah right but and it was sort of but it was sort of like the culture yeah that's the way right? it was is, is yeah i'm not saying that that was you know bad or indifferent or whatever no. it's a time that you know we sort of exactly you know were plopped into but i can tell you without that resiliency that was built in to that you know that yeah. era that we grew up in that sort of tough yeah. era which you know gave me resilience yeah resilience you know was hugely beneficial when i decided to clean up my life and get my life straight around because i had that you know will to live or you know should i've been through all of this stuff you know yeah. let's just go the let's just go the rest of the way let's just go you know the final yeah. distance and see see what happens right and yeah. so it was and that's what i try to tell people all the time is if you can find the gift in the pain and in the suffering then that's the reason why you went through whatever you went through right there's always a reason why things happen instead of you know grabbing onto the victim you know playing that victim role yeah. which is pretty much the whole entire bar scene yeah. right you have a whole bunch of victims of whatever it is yeah you know and they're all drowning their sorrows in this crazy insane behavior yeah right until you know like all of us we get to that place where am i gonna die or am i gonna and we have to make that choice yeah. right and i would say the majority of us want to live but we don't know how yeah right we just know how to cope right whether i'm happy sad mad glad all i know it's a feeling and i know how to make it go away yeah right and but eventually all that stuff stops working, right? Yeah. You know, I can't sleep with enough women. I can't do enough drugs. I can't, you know, drink enough. You know, it all stopped working. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Right. Yeah. And, and so it was just a choice, you know? Yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to stop all this stuff and, you know, whatever comes at me, I'm ready to face it and I'm ready to deal with it. And, and yeah. And so wasn't too long after that. That's when, you know, the book came out and, and the book changed my life. Right. Yeah, changed a lot of people's bro. You know, what's interesting is, you know, the majority of people I run into who are early on or thinking about change yeah, is they think they're the only person in the world that this is happening to. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's the way that I felt too. Right. Yeah. And you know, when that dude at the very first book signing came up to the table, you know, put the book in on the table, looked me like right into my soul and said, me too. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. You know, cause I had no idea why I was writing the book. Right. Right. Other than for selfish reasons, getting all this shit off my chest and, you know, maybe take one last look at it, put it in its rightful place. And this guy shows up at the book signing and goes, this is what the rest of your life is going to look like in two words. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because when I left the game, I didn't have a plan B. Yeah. Right. I had a grade 12 diploma from Vanier Collegiate in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. That, 
that was it. And I didn't have a plan and I didn't have purpose. I, I didn't have like nothing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that guy changed my life. And if I wouldn't have wrote the book, you know, I don't know where, you know, where I would be today. What was, what was interesting was after that first me too, is I went out on the book tour and I got completely run over, like run over by people like five, 10, 50, 20 people were coming up to every book signing and saying, Hey man, I read your story and you told my, you told my story. I read your book, you know, or I saw your documentary. You told my story and it was just like, wow. Yeah. And I was like, you know, by me finding my own voice. And talking about this stuff, you know, I can help other people do the same. And, and so. Dude, you opened up so many doors, man, for people. Yeah, it was. You created it, safety for players, man. You created yeah. a safe, a, a safe place for people now. It was an incredible experience. It's, yeah, that book, man, was, was incredible. And from a time where, that's the thing too, I wanted to circle back. The time back, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was a different time. People yeah. were hard asses. And I'm okay with that. It's yeah. just like now people are going back and talking about what coaches did in the 90s about yelling at somebody or whatever. It's like I was conditioned through that. So I can't, I can't yeah. go back and go, well, if I didn't get bag skated for, you know, in wet gear, yeah. you know, this, this shit that went on, I'm not saying it's right, but it's like for me now, it's kind of conditioned me this, this toughness that's not yeah. necessarily ideal for what I want my kids to go through, but yeah. right. It, it, it conditioned us for sure. Right. It's, uh, it's like, well, it's, you know, I've been interviewed lots over the last little while because of, you know, yes. happening, right. You yeah. Know? And I said to him, yeah, you know, I could, you know, be one of those guys. Yeah. But the greatest adversity I faced in my life, which was, you know, the sexual abuse with the coach yeah, is now my greatest strength. Right. Powerful man. Because if I didn't go through that experience, you and I wouldn't be talking about this today. And so that's what I always try to tell people is that there's incredible lessons in pain and suffering. Right. Because pain is a great motivator for change or something's not right in my environment. Right. And yeah. we can either succumb to it, which we did for a while. Yeah. Right. Or we can, you know, like I always say, take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. Right. Take something negative and turn it into something positive. But so many people are completely paralyzed and are afraid to take that step or, or make that change in their lives. And, you know, unfortunately those are the people that, you know, end up uh, killing themselves, right? Yeah. The people who lose that hope and lose that will to live and, you know, can't see a way out or, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's unfortunate because like I said, we haven't created a, you know, that safe space yet in society. I would say there's a lot of underground stuff that's happening, you know, but it's not mainstream yet, you know? And then, so I would say the reason why I'm so busy is because of my vulnerability 
and just saying, here it is. This is it. You know, that's healing for you too, though. Oh, there's no question. But what happens is my audiences, you know, about halfway through my speeches, it is fucking dead, silent. Nobody's fucking breathing. Yeah. Nothing. And I'm like, wow. Okay. That safety is now in the room. Yeah. Right. Because I got my whole entire audience to self-reflect on their own experience. Right. And I can hear those fucking hamsters just running around in people's brains going, wow. And it's like that moment where you give people permission. Yeah. Talk about this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I always say vulnerability creates safety. And then when you have safety, you know, that's when the magic of healing happens is, you know, when people feel safe, amazing things can happen from that. But we haven't created that space yet. No, but having these conversations, it's, it's we're chipping away at it. You yeah. Know? Well, I trying to undo hundred thousand years of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's right? crazy. You know, Cain yeah. killed Abel in the Bible. Yeah. Right. Mm. There's, there's where it started right there. And then it just, you know, yeah, just kept going. Right. How did, so what was the, what was the, the part that actually made you want to come out? Like, what was the one, what was the trigger? Was it just, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And, yeah. and the only thing I hadn't tried was like being honest and saying, here it is. How did they treat you after? Were you, was that kind of a, like, it was how, like 50, 50. It was, yeah. Really Cause that was a weird time. That was like the late nineties, right? 97, 98. No, no, it was uh 2009 when I told, when I, told, oh, I thought when I wrote the book, no, but when you, when you came out and told everybody, that was 2009. Holy shit. I thought it was earlier than that. It was Sheldon. Sheldon was 96. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, oh, all right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, right. yeah, it was. And I was very lucky because I, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. Like I show up at a Calgary Flames alumni golf tournament. Um, yeah. I think it was like 2007, I think, or six, maybe. Yeah. And I run into this old media guy. Um, they used to cover the team when I played in Calgary. I hadn't seen him in probably 10 years. Yeah. And after, you know, we sort of had this, you know, conversation. I said to him, I said, do you know anybody be interested in writing a book with me? And he says, funny you should ask. He says, my wife is a writer. And I said, weird, wow. you know? So three days after that conversation, I met with Kirsty, Kirsty Day. And then three days after that, you know, we started writing, playing with fire with the intention of not, I was just going to write a book about my hockey career. Right. Right. That, that was, that was the original mindset. Oh, wow. And, you know, early on in the process of writing the book, you know, she made me feel safe and I trusted her. Three years later, we finished the book and it's, it's all in there. Right. Yeah. You know? And, but yeah, it, I would say for the majority, you know, people who came to my book signing were either huge hockey fans or big Theo hockey fans or survivors, but the media, you know, the NHL, you know, they, they, they weren't on board. Right. Of course not. You know? And, uh, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was interesting 
how that all sort of played out. And, uh, but I made sure I was very well prepared when I was doing interviews, you know, that I knew that I didn't have to answer the reporter's questions, you know. Fuck, you must've got tired of that. Oh, it was exhausting. Fuck's sakes. Like, <laughs> before the first book signing, I bet you I did 300 interviews in four days when I went to Toronto to launch the book. So I, I did know. all the media before mm-hmm. and it was, it was crazy. Yeah, I bet. Were these, you know, CBC and CTV people were trying to blame me for what happened. And I was like, wow, you're <laughs> <laughs> <a> fucking disgusting, <laughs> you know? And so I could have fucking folded my tent right there and went, what? This is not worth it. <laughs> but I kept plugging away. And, and, uh, like I said, that, that first book signing, you know, really changed my life and changed my, you know, perspective. Man, it's, it's pretty incredible to be able to write a book, you know, like, yeah. are you written too? Are you like, just cause that's something that I would love to do as well one day and just hearing mm-hmm. about that. Cause it seems like maybe you were the same, you hear about a book, you think, oh, that's not me. That's some fucking really, really educated, no, you know, fuck whatever person, you right? Just, you just gotta, I think it's like I failed English. Yeah. You that's know? yeah, man. And what, was fun, what was funny was my English teacher in Moose Jaw. Yeah. Came to the first book signing or came to the book signing in Musha. And, uh, you know, I said to her, I go, can you believe that I'm a best-selling author? And I slept through your whole entire class. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. She was killing herself laughing. So, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Of course, man. You know, if you, if you put the intention out to the universe, it usually if it has good intentions and good, you know, stuff behind it, it usually happens, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So what was you, okay. So you're, let's talk about your healing journey, right? You're, you're speaking, you're writing books, your things are getting better, yeah, but you're, you've quit the drugs, you quit the alcohol. How has your healing changed? What, you know, obviously you had to go on some probably prescriptions for a bit. How oh, I, I quit everything. Oh, really? You went cold? Wow. <laughs> yeah, because I was listening to your podcast, and I urge you guys listening out there to go check out Theo's podcast. We'll make sure it's all in the notes. I listened to it. It was That's a whole thing I want to unpack also, yeah. talking about meds and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. But how has your healing changed? And I want to get into meditation. I want to get into yeah. all that stuff. How yeah. has it changed from when you started to now? with your education on healing and yeah. all that stuff? Well, you know, like I said, I, first of all, I had no clue what I was getting myself into other than the fact that I was sick and tired. Yeah. I wanted to tell my story and now, you know, um, you know, I'm the poster boy for fucking sexual abuse. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to be that guy. Yeah. And. And not only that, anytime I talked or used the word sexual in my speeches, every single person in my audience would like look down to the left and to the floor, which is projection of shame, right? Yeah. So they were projecting their shame back onto me. And I was like, oh, oh. cow, like this is heavy shit, right? Yeah. Because the church made sex bad. Right. And so, 
you know, when I was talking about sexual abuse, people weren't ready to hear that, right? They weren't ready to hear I was raped 150 times by my coach. They weren't, you know, they weren't ready. We hadn't created that space yet. And so, you know, I had to go get educated, right? Yeah. And, and so I, I meet this incredible woman along my travels early on when I was speaking and, uh, you know, I listened to her do a keynote in Winnipeg and was fucking like blown away at the information she was providing to the audience. And as soon as she was done speaking, man, I went over to her and I said, Hey, you just changed my life. And I said, I said, I think you'll be working with me for the rest of yours. I said to her, I never <laughs> met, like never even met her. She knew, didn't have a clue who I was. And, and, uh, and so she's a occupational therapist with a degree in neuroscience and like all these incredible things. And, and she was the one who really helped me rewire all of this trauma. Right. You know? But even bef like even before I met her, I about five years into my sobriety, I sort of like leveled off and hit a bit of a wall. And I was like, if this is what sobriety is, then I don't want any part of it. Because my life was fucking boring. Yeah. There was nothing happening. You know, I wasn't feeling good. And sure enough, I ran, I ran into, you know, this spiritual teacher, Aboriginal spiritual teacher who used to bring kids to my hockey school when I had my hockey school in Calgary. And uh, she was the one that, you know, really taught me about spirituality. And it was the one thing that was, you know, missing in my life. And as soon as I grabbed onto, you know, Aboriginal spirituality and started participating in ceremony and, you know, going to sweat lodges and, you know, how wow and picking up a drum and singing and all that stuff. Like my life just so, went to another level and went to another dimension and, you know, you know, 12 step, you know, the first three steps in, in the program is finding spirituality. Well, I skipped over those three steps and, uh, and so, yeah, that was the one thing that really changed my life, you know, and no matter what's thrown at me nowadays, you know, I have a ton of spiritual tools, you know, that help me, you know, manage, you know, my day to day. Right. What's that look like to you? Well, it's yeah. Like what's whatever that look like in the morning, like what's yeah. your, how do you prime yourself in the morning? Well, I, I, first thing I do is pray, you know, yeah. in the morning. And I, sometimes I use a uh, smudge to do that. You know, I light a smudge and do some citation and whatever, it. but yeah, it's, it's, it's all holistic. It's awesome, man. There's no drugs. There's no, you know, other than, you know, nicotine, I still chew, you know, I was wondering, I always see, I wondered yeah. if you had like an upper lipper yeah. there back in the day. I remember yeah. those, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's, it's not about the nicotine for me is, you know, I smoked for 27 years oh, crazy man. and it wasn't until I wrote the second book conversation with the rattlesnake that I figured out my chemistry, my brain chemistry and how it works. 
And the smoking was every time I inhaled, it was serotonin. Yeah. Right. And so when I have, you know, a couple of pouches up here all day long, I'm sucking and I'm getting serotonin. It's not the nicotine. It's the serotonin that, you know, I need to keep me calm. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because I always tell people next time you're at a casino where people are allowed to smoke, I said, go watch the slot players. Cause they're my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Cause they're completely fucking comatose. Okay. It's we don't have any idea, but they're doing this hitting the button. So it's serotonin, the cigarette and pressing the button is dopamine. That just fucked. So you can automatically, you can almost tell what kind of brain, like what they're lacking in their, their brain chemistry. Right. Wow. You know? So yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's amazing. But to get back to your question, it's, you know, it's a very holistic approach, but, yeah. but there's a lot of, especially I, I find on social media, there's a lot of pushback. Oh yeah. I talk about holistic approaches and, you know, big pharma holistic, right? You know, I get a lot of pushback, which is fine because we're, you know, we're newly discovering all of these, you know, yoga, meditation, you know, yeah, breathing exercises, exercise. You know, we're learning more about food, you know? And so, so yeah. And, and well, it's, it's a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, and, and this is the thing is like big pharma owns pretty much every yeah. disease. Well, and the big on the companies, planet. the big food companies too. So they get you sick and then yeah. they buy you in the system. Right. Yeah. So this is why this is, I like, I listened to this in, in your, your podcast as well, mm-hmm. is that how we, we think some people think meditation and all that's like woo woo and it's all bullshit, bro. I've been talking to people. I've done, you know, almost 150 episodes and I talk about this shit all the time. This has changed my life and all you hockey guys, girls, whatever. If you guys think this is woo woo, I urge you, encourage you to try doing this shit for 30 days and watch your life change. Oh yeah. Just sitting and breathing. I get up every day, man. I I sit in, in meditation and I've done this year doing yoga has fucking changed my life, man. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know why electricity works. I don't know why gravity works. Doesn't matter. It works, right? All I know is I feel better. Yes. Than than I ever have at any point in my life. And And gratitude as well. Practicing a form of, like you said, a prayer or, you know, actually physically being conscious of what you have. And if you think it's stupid, then you need to fucking do it because (laughs) you don't appreciate what you have, right? Exactly. And you have to program yourself for that gratitude because you're going to go out and there's going to be negative people everywhere trying to, trying to be, you know, negative or or pull you down and they have no idea they're sleeping. Right. And and you need to program yourself in the morning because that's your chance to move on through the day. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, that was the interesting thing is that you're going to love this story. So when I got sober. I had, and people say, you want to find out who your real friends are? Get sober. Fuck, I know. So I had 500 phone numbers in this phone. Okay. Thought, you know, 
they're all my buddies and we all go out and hang out and my drug dealers names in there. And <laughs> yeah. you know. so I called all 500 numbers and I said, listen, made a choice, made a decision, not drinking, not doing drugs, not going to bars. So don't ask me to do that. Yeah. But I said, if you'd like to come to my house, I'll cook you a nice dinner. First time in our relationship, we'll actually have a meaningful conversation. You know how many friends I had left? Two, two people. That was it. Right. But my, that's all I needed. My two friends loved and cared enough about me. They wanted to see me do well. <laughs> you know what I called the other 498 friends? My 10 o'clock friends. Cause you know what so happens true. at 10 o'clock, right? So true. <laughs> you fucking started crying, fucking uh, booze breath, cigarette <laughs> breath, you know, talking <laughs> to your face. Right? <laughs> yeah. But what's really cool is the 498 have come back. Yeah. A, I call it the law of attraction, not promotion. Right. So I went on my journey. I got some healing, you know, got better, got well. And now these people, I'm starting to see them every once in a while at different events or whatever. Right. And they come up to me, they go, holy shit, man. Do you ever look good? What'd you do? I got fucking sober. That's what happened. Right. Yeah, man. Now I invite them into the conversation because I see them. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, geez, you know what? I've been, I've been thinking, you know, maybe I should stop. And I'm like, Hey, when you're ready, I said, you still have my phone number. Call me. I said, I can help you do this. Right. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of those people now have chosen to live, you know, happy, joyous, and free. Right? Isn't it amazing? The cycle of that though. Yeah. You, cause I've seen it too. You're this guy, you're this. First, you're this hockey guy, and then you're this party guy, and you're in this box, and that's what you're known as. Yeah. And then you you stop doing all the things that align with that guy. You become this new person, and people get people get all fucked up. People oh, are yeah. like, "This isn't the person that I know." Yeah. And they yeah. resist, and then eventually they see that, "Oh, this is this isn't just a this isn't just a temporary thing. This is the real deal." And then they see that light in you, and you they attract to that because oh, yeah. everybody needs that. Of course. Right. Yeah. Like it's. Cause there's so many people just fucking what blind leading the blind. Yeah. And when somebody steps up as a leader and says, all right, wait a second. Yeah. Conversation's got to change. Like shit's got to change. Yeah. And then people go, okay. And the but, resistance drops. Right. Right. But I got to make, you got to, we got to make the change first. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. You know? And yeah, it's funny. The people who are late in their addiction and all that stuff who are still sort of managing, you know, their life and it, but it's becoming unmanageable, right? Those people are the ones that I tend to see all the time. And they're the ones who for years see me and completely avoid me like the plague. I know what the fuck's going on. You know, <laughs> you just see the guilt, right? As soon as they look at you and they're like, oh, fuck, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to go talk to him. Right. You know? Yeah. So, right. So and I always, I always say, you know what? Hey man, we're saving you. We're we're saving you a seat. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 What another thing that I'm kind of picking your brain about, about public speaking, yeah. like 
I, I've never really spoken in front of a big crowd. I've done it like in front of, you know, managers and stuff for, you know, like running, you know, bars and that kind of thing. You got to do the speech. How did you develop? Because there's a lot of people that want to public speak. And this is fucking cool, man, that you've been able to develop that coming from somebody that, you know, from hockey where you probably didn't have a lot of those tools mm -hmm. to be able to go and inspire an audience. Yeah. You know, how did you develop that? Well, I was in the media for what, 30 years. So did it. You so know. those pieces kind of. Yeah. And when you're a captain of a team. Yeah. Right. You're at an event. Yeah. You got to speak on behalf of the team. So I, I'd done a little bit of. Great. Public speaking. But, you know, I, I just was like a natural. Right. Yeah. It's one of and I knew absolutely everything about the subject that I'm talking about because I'm talking about myself. Right. And then as I became more educated, you know, I started adding those little one-liner tidbits, you know, into, into my speeches and, uh, but yeah, it's just practice. That's it. Yeah. I think at the beginning I was a lot more organized, right. Until I found my groove and, uh, you know. I, I, I've done 800 speeches now. It's incredible. It's crazy, you know, and uh, you'll get that high from it. Like yeah. I get high from these conversations. Yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like a crowd. It's awesome, you know, to, and you know, what was interesting was when I first started speaking, like I was like completely overwhelmed because I saw how enormous this whole uh, space was, right? Yeah. And so I went to my, my, uh, spiritual teacher, grandma, Ruth, um, shield woman, her name is shield woman. I, I love that man. So and, uh, I said to her, I said, grandma, I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. What, what am I supposed to do? She goes one person at a time. And I was like, that's totally doable. Right? So when I speak, I try to touch that one person in the audience to get them to change. Right. Right. That's yeah. it. That's my job. That's all I try and do because that's all I can do. If I try to, you know, and I tried this at the very start, you know, I was fucking involved in people's lives and I was fucking helping everybody. And I had a fucking meltdown, I complete know. meltdown because I couldn't manage it all anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's when I changed my focus to, you know, one person. And it just makes it way, way easier. Right. Right. But what's interesting is, you know, those of us who have extreme sort of trauma, you know, we have this, this intuitive brain now, right. Or this hypervigilance, right. Yeah. You know, like I can walk into a room and know within a millisecond who all the safe people are and who all the unsafe people are. Fuck that fascinating. Right. Because it's survival. Yeah. Right. It, it was built into us. Yeah. Right? But when I speak now, I know every single person in the room who's been sexually abused. Whoa. Cause they can't fucking sit in their chair. They got to get up and walk around. They got to leave the room. Right. I just so know. You, can, you just know, you can feel it. Or I can feel their energy. Right. Mm. You know, which is, which is really cool. You know, so powerful, man. That's you, you got some powerful, powerful tools there. 
And it's so great that you're using it. But but it's because I'm present. Yes. For the first time in my life, I'm actually fucking paying attention. Yeah. Right. You know, and through meditation and all that stuff, like it takes you to a higher beat, a higher level of awareness and right. All that stuff. Right. And it does, man. That's what we're fighting against, right? Is people think that that stuff is flop. People are coming around though, man. People are coming around. I People probably thought when I started talking about this, because I was so anti this stuff. Yeah. Now it's like, people are curious. And this has fucking changed my life, man. You know, I dealt with, you know, lost my younger brother to suicide. My dad oh, cancer yeah. within a year, yeah. you know, went through a lot of hard shit in one period of time. And, you know, not being the victim, I've dealt no. with it. I've gone yeah. deep. I've done all the, you know, in the, I've done yoga retreats, I've done meditation, but one, the things that have helped me have been the simplest things like meditation. That's why when you talked about it in that, in the podcast, before I heard that, there was so many things I wanted to talk about. And when I heard that, I was like, fuck, we're going to jam so well in the session because well, yeah, the, so important. My, it's my buddy, Eric, my yeah. buddy, Eric spent two and a half years in bed, couldn't get out of bed. That's crazy, man. Like, he was working like high end executive jobs for pro sports teams. Yeah. He could get out of bed for two and a half years and he was on 50. Yeah. Bills. You guys go listen to this episode after, man. That was, I couldn't believe that, man. Like, and then he goes to a breathing class. Yeah. Changes his life. I was like, it, it actually, we're programmed to think that doesn't make sense, but doesn't it make sense at an energetic level when you think about what we actually are? Yeah. It does make sense to breathe that you can fix that. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't make sense to think we're going to take these weird design pills. It's synthetic, like, synthetic brain chemistry. That's basically what it is. They're giving us synthetic brain chemistry, right? Yeah. And you know, this is, I don't, I don't think I've talked about this yet, but I might as well talk about it now, you know, with my brother, he was given medication. He wasn't suicidal. Yeah. He was given this stuff. And after that, he made that choice. Yep. And here's the problem that I have with that. There's no fucking accountability to what they're giving these people. Hey, there's all these side effects, but Hey, if they decide to make that, that, that decision, then what? Oh, no, no, it's just, you know, that's just what we do. No, that's not all right. And I, you know, that fucking really, really rattled me. And it still does to this day that there was no accountability. He's gone. Okay. You know, what, how does that happen? How, how, how is that? Like, well, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like money equals power. Yeah. And then once you have the power, then you can abuse anybody you want. Right. And so, you know, that's, you know, these pharmaceutical companies have way too much power, right. Yeah. With zero accountability for, you know, what they're doing, you know, not saying that medication has not helped. Yeah. Yeah. There are, they're, they're, yeah. you know, of course. Yeah. Bipolar. Schizophrenia, that stuff. Yeah, of course you need, you need that. But for general anxiety, general depression, whatever, you know, a holistic approach, you know, at least try it. Like, yeah, there's, 
There's a place for, of course, there's drugs that, that obviously there's a place for, yeah. and I'm for that. I get that. And all you guys listening, if what, whatever reason your circumstances, I get it. I, yeah. I'm not saying that, but I, what bothers me is the, like, is the lack of trying other things first. Hey, what's your diet look like? Do you get, do you get, do you drink water? Mm -hmm. Do you get sunshine? Do you exercise? Do you go in a sauna? Do you sweat? Like, I mean, let's talk about that first. Did you do that? No. Okay. Well then maybe try that. Yeah. If you've done all that and you still, then okay. Right. But that's not the conversation. Well, and, and the problem is, is you can go into your general practitioner. Yeah. Give them your symptoms. Yeah. And he's going to write you a prescription based on the symptoms, but he, if you're not sitting in an MRI machine and they're taking a picture of your brain, there is absolutely no way that a general practitioner should be writing scripts for antidepressants. Fuck. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. Right? Think about that. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You got to know so, the brain. That's how it works. So, so they put you on the first medication. Yeah. That works for you know, maybe six months, but then you go back into them and say, you know, this isn't really working. Oh, that's okay. We got a booster for that pill. Right. And then that booster wears off and you're on the next booster. And next thing you know, you're spending $300 a month on three different prescriptions that you have no idea what those side effects are doing to your nervous system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's synthetic brain chemistry. And then those things create another need for another, like, like thin your blood or like your, you know, yeah. some sort of weird thing so that you got to take another one. And then here you go. You're part of the circuit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I've discovered because I hang around with medicine men. Yeah. Right. You know, is that everything we need for every single disease on the planet is in nature. Yeah. Man. Right. That's how medicine men do it. So good. They go out and pick the herbs and everything, and then they just grind it all up and you drink it as a tea. Yeah. You know? Doesn't it make sense? It makes total sense. Sure. And there's no side effects. No. Right? Yeah, so, man. You know, and that's, and that's, you know, what the holistic is fighting against with the, you know, with the big pharma. Right? Yeah. 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 Man. So I just, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk about this, man, because, you know, two, two guys, you know, hockey guys talking about this stuff doesn't happen very often. Right. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of yeah. fucking seeing people die. Yeah, man. Me too. I'm sick and tired of, you know, I would say the majority of my life, all I see is pain and suffering. Yeah. That's what I see pain and suffering. And I think it's completely unnecessary. Right. Man. But, but, you know, we have, you know, we have a very socialist mentality happening right now. Right. Mm. And, and the only way socialism works is if everybody's afraid. Yeah. Cause when everybody's afraid, we all sort of just fall in line. Right. Right. But I'm not one of those guys. No, no, <laughs> no. The last person that I want fucking thinking for me is a fucking politician. 
That's yeah. the last person I want thinking for me. Yeah, I know. You're definitely you know? not too happy with uh, what's his name? <laughs> like, ridiculous. Like yeah. it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I don't know where these, these thoughts and these ideas come from. Yeah. We have the most traumatized leadership in the history of our planet. Okay. If you look at Trudeau's background history with his mom and dad, they were like my mom and dad. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so I spent my whole, you know, twenties and thirties you know, trying to get power so that I can fucking have some sort of control over people and things and places and things. Right. Yeah. That's what, and it was funny. I was in it. I was, I was speaking in Edmonton at the remand center. Okay. Yeah. And I was doing a Q and a with all the inmates and this guy was like, Hey, do you remember me? I'm like, no. He goes, do you remember that? Remember that bar three cheers on electric Avenue? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, you and I had a drink one night. (laughs) You were the biggest fucking asshole I ever met in my whole entire life. And I was like, and he goes, but today he goes, wow. He goes, you're not even the same person. Right. Yeah. That was really cool. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, because you're just living your life and you're surviving and you know, yeah. When you have, when you, when you've lost power, you know, from the abuse and all that, you don't, you quickly figure out that, you know, you can control people with power. Right. Right. And so, you know, I spent a lot of my time being an asshole. Right. So it's, it's, you know, when you, when you lead with ego, what happens eventually every single human being resents you can't stand you, doesn't want to be around you, right? right? If you lead with humility and compassion and empathy and all that stuff, people fall you to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. Right? But that's not the leadership we have. No. Right? It's all about controlling, you know, our thoughts, our words, our choices, our actions. It's all about controlling all that. Good luck. Mm. Right? Yeah, man. Eventually people fucking snap. Yeah. Right? Crazy, man. No? Yeah. What? Yeah. So. What are you? No, man, I completely agree. It's uh, what's, what's it look like now for you, man? What are you, what are you working on? I know you got the podcast. I want to make sure we can uh, yeah. send people your way. Do you got another book in the mix? Do you got some? I'm writing the third book right yeah. now. Yeah. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I should, I should tell this story because it's, it's probably, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good for time, bro. If you are, I'm, I'm key. I'm good. Changed my life. It inspired me to write the third book. Cause I didn't have, I, I was like, kind of, I had a writer's block cause I didn't know what I was, what I wanted to get out there. So like six years ago, I set an intention to the universe that I want to start speaking in the prison system, not knowing why, just, I was curious. Right. So that has come to fruition. And I've been to like, I don't know, 25 different prisons now all over Canada. And uh, so we were at this, uh, place outside of Winnipeg called Stony mountain penitentiary. And it's a maximum, medium and minimum security prison. 
So I had 400 of the baddest dudes on the planet in my audience. Murderers, rapists, child molesters, bank robbers, drug dealers, you name it. Bikers, gangs, you name it, right? And we're having this incredible conversation about trauma, mental health, and addiction and how it's all connected, right? And so I look out into my audience and there's a kid in the back row who can't even sit in his chair. He's like been triggered to the max, right? So I say, Hey, got something to say? Kid stands up, looks exactly like Eminem, the rapper. Okay. He's got the flat beat cap tattoos from his neck all the way down to his feet. And you know, and he's very street guy. So the first thing out of his mouth, he says, this is Theo Fleury. He says, uh, you're my hero. Oh, fuck. Why? Okay. Uh, you know, we're in jail here. So he says, uh, <laughs> he says, uh, he says, I used to be a really great hockey player. And he says, I, as you can see, he says, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Right. But he said, I used to be a really good hockey player. He said, when I was 14 years old, I grew up in the North side of Winnipeg and it's a bad area. So I got involved with the wrong crowd. And he said, I've been selling drugs, you know, ever since. And he says, I've been in and out of jail for years. And then he says, you'll never guess who I was with three weeks ago in Grand Cache, Alberta. I was like, I don't know who are you with? He said, I was with Graham James. Oh, fuck. The guy that abused me. Okay. He was in jail yeah. with my abuser. Oh. And he said, because you're my hero, he said, my sole intent while I was in that prison was I was going to beat the fuck out of this guy for you. Okay. But he said, <clears throat> Graham is very heavily guarded because everybody wants to beat the fuck out of this guy. Right. So he said, I waited and I waited and I waited. He said, I got my chance. The guards left his room and he said, I walked in there and he said, he wasn't there. So I said, I started searching around. He said, I went to the left side of the bed and he wasn't there. He said, I walked over to the right side of the bed and there he was curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of his room. And he said, I didn't do anything. You know what I said to the kid? I said, you're my hero for not doing anything. And, and, you know, forgiveness is freedom. And it was the very first time that I had realized that, you know, I had forgiven myself for what happened. Right. And then I was in the process of, you know, forgiving my abuser. Right. And so, you know, when I was writing the second book, you know, we talked about forgiveness and I was like, fuck that shit. I don't, you know, I don't even want to go there, you know, and, uh, you know, Kim said to me, she goes, it's not an action. Forgiveness isn't an action. She goes, it's a feeling, right? She goes, I just want you to think about forgiveness. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And sure enough. That happened. I was in the right place at the right time to hear this story from this kid that helped me get past 
you know, one of my biggest obstacles in life. Wow. Right. Cause I'm not attached anymore. Like I'm free. I'm free of that, you know, that time in my life that I was so attached to. Right. So, you know, forgiveness is part of, part of the process. Right. And so the next book is, you know, talking about forgiveness and how important it is in, in, in anybody's healing journey. Good for you, man. You know, that's, and so. That's so real that, toughness, man. That's yeah, like the toughest. Powerful. Powerful. It's powerful. And, and how, how much more vulnerable can you be than being in a state of forgiveness? Wow. Right. You know, <laughs> but. It's part of the process. It's just part of the process, you know, and so many people, so many people in my audience get triggered by that word. Man, I just think about, and I just admire you so much for that because I think about if that happened to me and if I could forgive that guy, and I guess I wouldn't know unless I was in that position. And it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around being able to forgive that fucking guy. Yeah. And, but you were able to, and that's like, I can't, I can't move forward until yeah, I, you have to, right? I can't move forward. You can't be a prisoner in your own life. Exactly. Yeah. Fuck. I stopped beating the shit out of myself. Fuck, right? That's true, man. You know? Because like, yeah, you holding a grudge on this, I actually had a quote on this the other day I saw, and I actually posted one. It was about, you, they're never going to, holding a grudge is pointless. They're never going to feel how you feel. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Yeah. Like, they're never, how much we want to be like, that person fucked me over. I'm so angry. I'm going to hold a grudge. But really, they don't even, they're never going to feel that pain. You're only hurting yourself. It's like you're holding hot coal. Well, you're, you've taken over the abuse. Yeah. You're abusing yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, if you... Like I, I totally see Graham James as a complete gift in my life because without that experience, I'm not talking to you. I'm not speaking about sexual abuse. I'm not speaking about the tough stuff. Right. You know, and I, and I survived and I got through it and I'm okay. You know, it helped, it helped me get on a different path in life. Like the, probably the most important path in life and that's healing. Right. It's, you know, I can't be on a path of healing if I haven't experienced any, you know, suffering. God, I know it's crazy, right? Right. So, you know, that's what I always try to tell people is like, yeah, you can be a victim your whole entire life, but how's that working out for you? How are those hangovers? Right. You know, those how are those empty relationships and yeah. in, in bars and, you know, how do you feel waking up beside a stranger? feeling empty and lonely and you know yeah man there's nothing there right you know i go yeah you can you can live the rest of your life that way right you know yeah yeah and it's warranted i get it you can be angry you can be resentful i, I get it but 16 years ago i had a fucking gun in my mouth yeah it's it's crazy right that's where that mentality led me right or the old, uh, pour me, pour me another fucking drink. Right. Do you, do you ever miss drinking after the, all this time? No. Not a chance. No. 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 Well, that's great to hear. I mean, no. 
you know, the action of it, you were, you know, well, I guess you're out of that programming, yeah. right? That takes a while. How long? Okay. Cause here's the thing, bro. I quit for a year and then I started again in 2018 and then I went nine months this year. Now I kind of have it here. Yeah. How long, like if I was for anybody listening out there, they'll get value from this. How long does it take for you to really forget that fucking pattern? Like, well, I don't think it ever leaves. How do you, how do you get past that, that hurdle? You just don't drink. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always tell people, you know, I got to play the country music record backwards. Okay. Yeah. Cause I got my dog back, got my girl back, got my car back, got my kids back. You know, I got everything back. Right. Yeah. Okay? But if I take one drink, guess what? It's all gone. Fucking gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. And I have another relapse in me, but I don't have another recovery. Right? And el alcohol and drugs and sex and food and all, it's like a fucking solvent. When I put <laughs> yeah. in my body, things disappear. Crazy. Right? Relationships, things, jobs, friends, it, it all disappears. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I make a choice every day that I'm not going to do that anymore. Right? It's like my dad says, he's got 32 years of sobriety. He says, uh, you know, I think I might drink tomorrow. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, you have 32 years of sobriety. You're going to have a drink tomorrow. He says, yeah, I might, you know, but today I'm not. Which tells me <laughs> it's a one day at a time thing. Fuck. Yeah. Right? So true. Oh, man. That's all it is. Right? One at a time. Try to live 24 hours at a time. That's it. Right? Oh, man. And that keeps you in the present. Right? Yeah. I don't want to think about tomorrow. Right? I don't want to think about yesterday. I don't want to think about tomorrow. I just want to live here. Amazing, man. Fucking the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. Try to be in the present. You still, do you still get on the ice and play sometimes? Oh, good. Yeah. I have so much. Fuck, uh, you could probably still dangle out there though, bro. I can, <laughs> but I have so much physical trauma. Yeah. From my sport, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't care about my body. Right? Yeah, for sure. I just, I played a very reckless. You're thing. a tough fucker out there, bro tough fuck like people don't realize you guys out there if you don't know hockey like you were the the day that you got like you were you know a, a, a smaller guy yeah and that was like an unheard of thing yeah. you got monsters that just want to kill supposed. they want to kill you every night like it was a crazy game back then love the law of physics fucking crazy bro like you were you were it was the game you played for me as a hockey player, it's so much respect. And anybody listening out there, they all know they like you, you played like you were six foot six. And well, you know, what was funny was, you know, when I broke into the league, the average height was six feet. The average weight was 200 pounds, right? Yeah. So I'm six inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter. Yeah. And you know, everybody I'm playing against. And I think, I can't remember what year it was, but somebody wrote an article in one of the hockey magazines and I was like in the top 10 of power forwards 
in the NHL. Fuck yeah, you are. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know what I mean? It's like bizarre, right? You know, with like guys like Kevin Steve or yeah, Kevin Stevens and Brandon Shanahan. Like I was in that Lemieux category, right? Yeah. Our oh power forwards, yeah. Power forward. Yeah, I gotcha. You know? Like I was maybe like twentieth on the list, but I'd still mention that's know? who who was the hardest guy to play against? I gotta ask you some hockey questions. Who was the hardest guy? Like who was like this fucker? Like I hate this guy. I didn't really I loved playing against those guys. Yeah. Is they they made, uh, who like you go to these cities, like who is like somebody that you almost every team had that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I play against checking lines. Yeah, that's right. True. Yeah. You know? And I played against the other team's two best shutdown defensemen. Yeah. Right. So, you know, but I loved playing against those guys because they made me elevate my game to another level. Right. So who was the best player though? Who did you think, who did you, if you were picking Gretzky or Lemieux, like who, I know it's a well, question. That's a hard one for me. I know, bro. Is, you know, I have a really kind of cool relationship with both those guys. Yeah. And, you know, not only are they great hockey players, but, you know, they're even better human beings. Yeah. And I think that's what I learned the most from hanging around those guys was, you know, how to be a, like a true professional, right? right. Yeah. Where, you know, how they... <clears throat> how they carried themselves, how they acted around, you know, everybody, their families, you know, were the most important thing in their lives. And, you know, that was just, it was neat to be, to be around because they, you know, they were on another level. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't change. It didn't really change them. But you won a gold medal with Lemieux, right? Yeah. And Gretzky wasn't the GM of the team. Wow. Right. So it was incredible. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, but you know, you train your whole life to be yeah in that situation. Do you ever look back and are just like, holy fuck, like what just like I played yep. with? I was, I was there, you know. But I wanted to be there, of course, right? You know, yeah, you know that's well, you deserve to be there, man. Like it's well, just I, I I worked my ass off. Yeah, you did. I, it's why your body is beat up now because you work so hard and you just, you know, that was, that was kind of where this, how this conversation got to that. I love to compete. Yeah. And, you know, I work every bit on as hard on my recovery as I did playing in the NHL. Yeah. I've taken that lesson and put it in, put it into this lesson. Right. Right. And I think, well, and I think, you know, you know, minor sports is completely out of control because everybody thinks their kid's going to make it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, like six years old, you know, yeah. play summer hockey. <clears throat> There's only 700 jobs in the NHL and most of them are taken because Ovechkin has a 10 year deal and, you know, Elias Peterson has a 10 year deal and Brock Besser has a 10 year deal and, you know, Bull Horvath has a 10 year deal, right? So you have 9 million kids worldwide yeah. playing for what? 60 jobs a year. Yeah. And that's it. There's no Crazy. more jobs. Right. And so, you know, 
what's gotten lost is the real reason why we put our kids in sports is to build resiliency and to teach them about team and relationship and, you know, and all that stuff. It's gotten, you know, right. lost. Right. And I had an incredible minor hockey experience. Incredible. You know, I played with the same 13 guys for nine years. That's awesome. You know, that's rare. Right. But I grew up in a small town, right? Mm -hmm. If you had a, if you were six years old and you had a set of gear and you lived in Russell, Manitoba, guess what? You're on the team. Yeah. So there's no trial. I, I remember when I was 10, I went to, I played for the Northern Alberta Selects and we went to Minnesota. We played uh, Russia in the final. And at 10 years old, it's just like, it's crazy to think now. And like Kovalchuk's on the team. Like he was this, they're like, who's this number 17 kid? Kid was fucking incredible. And then now I look back, I'm like, that was nuts. Like, but kid, as kids, you think, oh yeah, it's always yeah, going to be like that. That's a cool experience. Yeah. Just that in itself. Yeah. yeah. You know? It teaches you so much about being. Some guys, that's going to be the highlight of their sports career. Yeah. yeah. I was 10 years old. I played against Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. It's, you learn so many lessons in hockey that so many lessons, even now, you know, be doing this journey, you know, entrepreneurship and all this, the, the, the valuable lessons that you learn of teamwork and commitment and dedication and all the shit that you don't realize is important when you're growing up, you think, oh, this is all bullshit or whatever. Now you're like, ah, okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Cause a lot of these human beings around don't have these skills. So, and I'm disappointed that hockey's getting shit on right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, I'm super grateful to have had you come on here. I mean, I could fucking talk to you for hours, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's been, we'll have to do it in person. That that'll be the next one. We'll have to do it in person, man. And every once in a while. So. Oh yeah. Let's get together. Good. Absolutely. Grab a coffee or something. Yeah, man. But like I said, a lot of people are going to get value from this. And that's, that's why I do this. And that's why you do this. And it's, I just appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time because so many people want to hear this and yeah. I, well, keep, I, always, keep, I always say, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. Right. And, you know, I was carrying a secret around for a long time and I was sick physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And <laughs> once I got all my secrets out there, then you know, that's when my life changed. And so, you know, I always encourage people, you know what, find a safe space, find a safe person and, you know, get rid of this shit because you don't need to carry it around with you because it kills you. Yeah. You know, and you know, like I said, I, I was right there. I was a millisecond away from, you know, pulling that trigger on that gun and, you know, for some reason, you know, it didn't happen. Yeah. And, and look what happened because of it. Right. Yeah, man. You know, so, and you know, there's lots of people out there who get to that point, right? Yeah. Well, maybe one person will hear this and make a different decision and that's, then we've yeah. won, right? Then so we've it's won. all about one person at a time. Yeah. Right on, man. All right, dude. Okay. Everybody make sure you check out Theo. If you haven't read his book, Playing With Fire, I suggest you go and get it. Check it out. He's also got conversations with the rattlesnake and he's going to be working on another one. Follow him on Instagram. Check out his podcast. We'll have all that linked in the show notes. Theo Flurry podcast. It's on all the platforms, right? Yep. Awesome. Theo Flurry, everybody.
Cheers, man. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Theo Fleury. He's amazing. Let us know in the comments or if you can or comments on YouTube or tag us on social media, leave us a review, whatever. I just want to hear your feedback. DM me, whatever you guys think, whatever's easiest for you. But I would love to hear what you thought of that episode. And uh, if you aren't subscribed to the show, what are you doing? I'm just kidding. Subscribe, guys. Follow wherever, whatever is easier for you on the platform you're using. Or if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and hit the bell for notifications. I love you guys. Feedback. I love it all. I want to hear what you thought. And uh, yeah, most importantly, have a beautiful day. I hope that whatever you learn today, you can apply in your own life and help you think differently with the adversity you face. Much love, everybody. Keep an eye open for Mastering Adversity. It's coming out in June. If you guys aren't on the waiting list yet for my new book, Mastering Adversity, get on the waiting list. There's a link to join that so you stay on top of it. And as well, we won't spam you, but we'll keep you updates on what's going on with the University of Adversity brand, as well as weekly updates of when the podcast comes out to make it super easy and in your inbox. All right, everybody. Much love. Take, catch you next time.